Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. The author and the finisher of our faith. The work that you began in us, you are faithful to complete it. So we have come, Lord, for the ministry of the word, that our souls, our spirits may be fed, that your work in us would continue, Lord, for faith comes from hearing. We have come for the hearing of faith, O oh Lord. It has come at this time into thy hands, O oh Lord. Pray every other distraction, every other concern of life, every other issue we will put aside and be open to the voice of your Spirit as you teach us, Lord. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do you remember 31st night? It was only 10 days ago. <laughs> Looks like a long time back, right? 10 days. You know, in India also in certain places, but uh, abroad, they have what is called retirement homes, where uh, older people, when they retire, they live in this, they're really good homes. Older people, they live in these homes and the kids come and visit them once in a while. Or even if you don't have kids, you can check into this. You have to pay, of course, but it's very well taken care of. So an old widower had moved to this retirement home. And there were a lot of them there. And he used to sit and talk to an old widow. And they got very close. And one evening he proposed to her. They're both old, okay? And he's a widow, she's a widow. One evening he proposed to her. The next morning he woke up and he couldn't remember her answer. What did she say last night? <laughs> so he went to her and said, I'm really sorry. I forgot. Did you say yes or no? She said, thank goodness, she said. I remembered saying yes, but I couldn't remember who had proposed. <laughs> so, <laughs> you are not in retirement homes, but does anybody remember your New Year resolutions? Or have you forgotten it? Therefore, God says, Remember, okay, every time we come to the house of God is so that we are reminded of his goodness, of his mercy, of his everlasting faithfulness. I was uh, talking to Peter yesterday and I was telling Peter, you know, as a praise and worship leader or anybody, scripture says a word, the psalmist says, let everything that has breath, you know what it means, the only reason you need to praise God is that you are alive. You don't need another reason. The, the primary reason is this. I am alive today. That means I am not yet facing his judgment. So I still have time for mercy. I still have time to put right. Still have time for salvation if I do not know the Lord. And still have time to put things right do you understand what breath means? What breath means? Because we always say many who went to sleep last night did not rise. So what did it mean? Suddenly they reached judgment seat. And if they were unprepared, like most often are unprepared, then they have no praise. So remember, Life is an incredible gift that God gives us. So forget the negatives. Remember those lessons God wants us to remember. So like we said, don't lose focus. One major struggle we all face, young or old, is losing focus. Don't lose the focus. Remember, keep your eyes on Christ. So today... We are going to learn, usually Pastor Vijay teaches from the book of Proverbs, but today 
I am taking a diversion, going to teach you from the book of Proverbs how for this new year, if you have time, on the 10th day, we can make 10 resolutions. God's resolutions for us. Okay? First, let's look at the introduction. Can you hear at the back? At the back, can you hear? Okay. Let's look at the introduction of Proverbs 3. Okay, Proverbs 3 verses one and two. This is the preamble or the introduction to this Proverbs and God. Don't think about Solomon writing, but God telling us. He used the pen of Solomon, but it's God speaking to his children. When he uses the term son, he means daughters too. Okay, so don't feel offended by the word. He means all of you too. My son, my daughter, do not forget my law. Don't forget. There's some things we need to forget. Some things we need to remember. Do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. If you look at this is the introduction to this chapter 3 of Proverbs. Every one of us, every human being, saved, unsaved, everybody longs for these things. Long life and peace. Everybody longs for, Lord, I want to live long and I want a peaceful life. And I, we will use the term prosperity. Okay, Everybody longs for long life, for peace and for prosperity. God also says, that is my desire for you too. That you have long life, you have peace and you have prosperity. That's the desire. That's what the Apostle John also in the New Covenant will write in 3 John. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health too. Just as your soul prospers. He says the key to this is your soul prospering. If your soul prospers, remember the soul food is the word of God. And obedience to the word of God. He says if your soul prospers, you can actually prosper in other things also. But if your soul doesn't prosper, even if you prosper in all the other things, you still will be destroyed or wasted away. And we know that from Israel's history. So this is man's desire. And this is God's desire for all his children too, that we prosper, that we live long, we live in peace, and we prosper in all things under normal circumstances, unless you are chosen to go through persecution and die as a martyr. Okay, now we will look at it as a tragedy, but not. If you ask soldiers, you will see the highest honor in the army is given to the martyrs. So the highest honor in the kingdom of God, where we all were enlisted as soldiers, is to die for the Lord. So it is not a bad thing, it is an honor. So you have to see everything from God's perspective. Okay, But God says, if you look at Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, if he says, it, this has to happen, has to happen. God actually sets 10 spiritual laws. These are his spiritual laws. If you, if you go through Proverbs chapter 3, he sets 10 spiritual laws. He says, this is my desire. Okay, But desire in itself will not come to pass. Okay, If horses had wings... Then we would fly. But that's just a desire. Okay? Desire doesn't take us anywhere. Okay? Desire has to move into action. So scripture here will say 10 principles from Proverbs chapter 3. First, we will go to now, we saw 1 and 2, we will go to verse 3 and 4. Let's read 3 and 4. It's the first principle. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor, high esteem in the sight of God and man. First thing he says, don't let go of mercy and truth. Don't let go of mercy and truth. Never forget mercy and truth. You see, we will never know how much dependent we are on mercy. The problem is we will never realize our need for mercy unless we encounter truth. Most people are not aware of the need of mercy. 
It's because they are not aware of truth. And God says, don't let these two forsake you. Be merciful and you shall obtain mercy. Be unmerciful. The very, the very moment I am unmerciful, okay, that means I haven't judged myself. Okay, I haven't seen the truth about myself. That's when I am unmerciful. Okay, remember, when I'm not showing mercy, it is not a judgment. I'm not talking about a judge sitting in a position and I'm not talking about that. In general, day-to-day life, when I'm not, if I don't show mercy to Peter, okay, I am not actually judging Peter. I'm actually judging myself. I'm actually judging myself. I am unmerciful to him because I haven't seen the truth about myself, about how merciful God has been to me. I'm not aware of my own failings, my own failures, my own sins. Okay. That's what God is talking about, that unmerciful servant to whom God, the master, had forgiven a huge amount. Huge amount. And then he goes and picks somebody who owes him a small amount and doesn't show any mercy at all. Okay, So this is what God is talking about. First rule, he says, you want to really prosper, you really want to live long, you want to live in peace, you want to live in God's kind of prosperity where your soul prospers. He says, the first rule is, do not forsake mercy and truth. It's not just be casually attached to it, bind them around your neck. Bind them. Be very careful about the words you say because people sometimes say, I will never forgive that person. What if suddenly you hear the Spirit of God whispering one last time in your ears, you will never receive mercy again. You don't want to hear that, right? You don't want to hear that. God says these two things, if you ever decide one day to make two lockets, right? One mercy and one truth. Okay, he says, bind them around your neck. Bind them around your neck. He says, it's not just a casual attachment. He says, we should be attached to this, to this, to mercy and to truth. We should be, God's people should be a set of people who are addicted to truth, to the pursuit of truth. Not the truth about, like scientists are interested in the truth about, or criminal dictators, no. Truth about ourselves and the truth about God, because God is truth. And we know from now by, from our studies from scripture, that God will allow people to perish only because of one reason. They did not receive the love of truth. It's not that they did not receive the truth. They did not receive the love of truth. There's a difference between two, these two. Receiving truth and receiving the love of truth. Okay? I'll put an example in ways young people will understand, okay? Let us say Sunday. You all finish church, go to TSS, you have your lunch, and then you go to Alwal football ground and you play cricket. Okay? Now, you like cricket? You played cricket. But one among you is caught by the bug called cricket. Now he's thinking, eating, drinking, dreaming, cricket. And before you know, his entire mind is consumed by cricket and he decided, this is what I'm going to choose as my career. All of us received cricket, one received the passion for cricket. Okay? That's what Bible talks about. The love of truth. Only to those people, God can continuously keep speaking on an ongoing process. So till the end, God could speak to Jacob. Till the end, God could speak to David. Till the end, David, God could speak to Moses. Because these were people who really understand, without the pursuit of truth, I can never know him because he is truth. Okay. Sometimes we get so casual about our salvation because we think about salvation as relocating. When I die, I will go to heaven. So we are very casual about it. We never connect salvation with the person of God where God says, I am your salvation. So if we do not receive this, 
somewhere on the way we stop our journey. So God says one of the first resolutions you make is this. Bind mercy in your dealings with others. Mercy. And in your dealing with self. Truth. In your dealings with others. Mercy. In your dealing with yourself. Truth. Bind this around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Yes, you all have your diaries and you have all your books and pens. But God said that's excellent. But write it in the tablet of your Heart, ask the Holy Spirit. In the, in the new covenant, in the book of Hebrews, God says, He will give us a new heart and write His law in our hearts. When He writes His law in our hearts, what's the first thing He writes? Mercy and truth. Be merciful and love truth. And then He says, if you choose this route every day, He says, you will find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and in the sight of now, we know about favor and high esteem with man. You don't need mercy and truth for that. There are lots of ways you can impress man. But God says, if you have this as your first principle, you will find favor and high esteem with God. And in the process, God will touch the hearts of men too. That you will have favor and high esteem with men too. That is why, like we keep telling, you read the 12 chapters of the book of Daniel, kings come, kings go. But there's one man who will stand before every king because he was held with high esteem by God. Therefore, he was held by high esteem by men. So God says, this is actual spiritual principle for long life with success. He says, this is the first principle. Keep that in your heart. Keep that in your mind. Now we go to resolution number two. Okay, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Okay, like you have heard it many times, English classes, right? Here. I've taught you English too, right? You've learned your English too, right? Whenever you read scripture, you will see God will always have two parts. One, he'll say what we should do. And the second part, what we should not do. Usually, we take only one part and that too casually. And the second part we avoid. First thing God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. Second, he says, do not lean on your own understanding. With God, the thing is that one will only work if two is also applied. You cannot try to, no, 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 we need to be rational human beings and try to balance between trusting God and my understanding. God says it won't work. It won't work. It may work for a season. After that, it will fail. It will not work. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In the Lord. Why? You have to trust in the honesty, in the integrity, in the reliability, in the faithfulness of God. You have to trust. God is not going to reveal himself completely to any man. But we begin with the premise that God can be trusted because he is God. Why do we speak so much and teach so much about God and the ways of God with man so that we can trust him to see actually the God who dealt with Adam. It's the same God who is dealing with everybody through scripture. His ways have never changed. Never changed. It's always the same. It's always the same. Everybody here is trying to find something that doesn't change. Because everything is changing. We ourselves are changing one way or other. The only one who does not change is God. Does not. So God says, when you trust in the Lord, you are trusting in His honesty. That God will be always honest with you. Always honest with you. Like I said, when you go to a doctor, you want the doctor to be honest with you. You don't want him to flatter you. When you go to a lawyer, you want the lawyer to be honest to you. Right? When you go to God, do you want God to be honest? Most people don't want God to be honest with them. That is why we say Amen and get up quickly. 
if we tarry a little little he will speak to us and we may not be very happy with god because god is very honest is absolutely honest with us is honest you can never question his integrity meaning he will never take a bribe and change his judgment not a god who takes a bribe is absolutely reliable reliable if he has said something in your life and you how hang on to it it will come to pass because he is reliable and he is faithful so when scripture says trust in the lord with all your heart all your heart as we grow into another year our trust in god also must increase and therefore though god's promises are great he also pushes us to greater challenges to see whether we trust him or not so in the old testament you see a man like moses for 80 years is pushed to the limits pushed to the limits but ultimately when he finishes his race his final song is ascribe greatness with all his ways are absolutely no shadow of turning with him absolutely all his ways are right it doesn't look physically everything went right with moses but that does not mean there is anything wrong in the way god dealt with him here is you know what god of my fathers who saved me from the watery grave in the nile till the age of 120 every way he dealt with me was absolutely true to his character he was honest he was true he was faithful he dealt with me honestly integrated me judged me according to his righteousness all that has happened in my life is perfectly fine there is not an issue with the person of god that is what it means trusting god with all our heart and his faithfulness and his integrity and scripture says lean not on your understanding lean our understanding is very limited we don't even have a three dimensional view we have only a single dimensional view of every issue only god has a complete picture of every issue therefore god says in any situation in life any decision you have to make don't lean on your understanding lot of young people 17 18 19 soon you will make decision about courses about careers about marriage about jobs so many god says you know what don't lean on your understanding don't lean on to god because our understanding is very very limited our perspective is very very limited our view is very restricted very restricted in first corinthians chapter 13 verse 9 says for we know in part and we prophesy in part even the prophet who prophesies only sees part you go to the prophet because you see nothing and the prophet by the gift of god sees a part so he can only prophesy in part the rest is still with god hidden in god you don't know something nothing about this situation you go to a prophet he sees 10% 20 90% is still hidden but at least you got 10% to start when you have a puzzle which you have to put when you have put 10% the other starts taking shape right so we only see in part even a prophet sees only in part and in verse Well, for now we see in a mirror dimly then face to face do you know none of us has actually ever seen our face well because in every mirror and every photograph our face is inverted you look at it the other fellow is looking at us not the way we look at him can you ever see yourself like this no you cannot So even in a mirror you don't see yourself clearly only god sees us we see dimly very dim but then face to face now i know in part but then i shall know just as i also am known meaning we actually don't even know ourselves that day we will look back and say this is what i am how many of you have read that uh, Charles Dickens um, that Christmas 
Yeah, you remember the three goats? The three goats has to come and take him out to show Mr. Scrooge what he really is and what really people think about him. And he thought he knew everything about himself. And it was a real eye-opener. That's why God says don't lean on your understanding. Don't lean on your understanding because our understanding is faulty. Because our educational system is faulty. It is the education system of the fallen man. Rooted in sin. So God says don't lean on your understanding. Don't lean. I'm not talking about daily normal decisions you make. I'm not talking, I'm talking about really about life. And God says, second fundamental rule is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't lean on your understanding. Always seek God. Always seek counsel from His word. Always seek godly counsel. Always seek godly counsel. Godly counsel, not just counsel. Teenagers are like Absalom. Will always seek the counsel of their peers and they will die. Remember Solomon's son? He also sought the counsel of his own age group and what happened? He also died. God never says seek counsel. He says seek godly counsel. Okay? People whom you are very sure know God. And knows God's ways. Not just somebody has got a white hair. No. There are plenty of people on the roads with white hair and age. They will say, I have 50 years of experience. They don't. They have one year of experience. Same experience over and over again. They don't. Scripture is talking about godly counsel. Seek godly counsel. Lean not on your own understanding. If you go to the second part of uh, verse 6. Scripture says, acknowledge him. Yeah. Acknowledge him in all, all your ways. Acknowledge him. All your ways. Acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. He didn't say in certain ways. Almost always. He says in all your ways. All your ways. Acknowledge that's one of the reasons again why we study the word of God because scripture says in the book of Isaiah my ways who knows his ways does anybody know his ways does education all our degrees give us understanding about his ways no why do you feel guilty when you come to church because you know I know we know that our ways and his ways didn't tally three days into the week Why do people feel guilty in the church and feel good in the world? No, I don't want to go to church because I want to feel good. His ways. His ways far higher than our ways. That's why we know now Moses, the incredibly educated man in the wisdom of Egypt, stands before God and prays. What does he pray? Lord, show me, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. The psalmist David will pray, if I'm right in Psalm 25, 4, he will say, teach me your ways. Show me your paths. Teach me your ways. Show me your paths. Because God's ways, God's paths are completely different. We need to pray. And we need to acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him in all our ways, constantly. If you fail, the only reason we fail is because we do not acknowledge him in that way. Say, God says, you fell. Now come back, receive mercy, and get back onto that way. Get back onto that way. Why? Because Jesus said this very dangerous. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. He said, enter by the narrow gate. Why? For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. He says, many go by the broad way. Many, many go by the broad way. But he said, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to. Why is it difficult? Let me ask you this question. Uh, not students. Those who are working. But think about it. 
all those who are working, tomorrow you go back to your company. And when you go back to your company, your manager says, don't take a single decision without checking with me. Is suddenly tomorrow's job easy? It is difficult. Because you realize, in this, today, eight hours I work, ten hours I work, I have to make so many decisions. And he said, don't make a single decision without checking with me. Okay. That he tells to newcomers. Over a period of time, once you have continuously understood and obeyed his instructions, that instructions become part of you. Part of you. That's what he's talking about. The gate is narrow and the way is very difficult, which leads to life. It's very difficult. What are we after? We are after eternal life. And Jesus says, mark these two words, few will find it, but many will go in by it. Many. Many will go through the broad way that leads to death. Few will go through that difficult way that leads to life. The devil wants to lead everybody into the broad way. Everybody into the broad way. Even Jesus the devil tried to lead even Jesus by appealing to his senses into the broad way. What will Jesus answer every time? He said, it is, what does it mean? You're showing me this, my father says this is the way. You're telling me this, my father says this is the way. You're telling me this, my father he says this, I will stick to my father's way. Stick to my father's way. And to men and women sitting here, married men and women sitting over here, especially to the men. Okay, not to the women, to the men. Because what happens is, we selectively use scripture. Men will tell women, uh, married, Christian married men. The non-Christian doesn't say that. He's very good. Christian married men will say, submit to me. Why? It is written. He selectively uses that scripture without himself submitting to the laws of God, which actually gives him the authority. Where does your authority come from? Where does your authority come from? Your authority comes from that you are a man who is submitted to God's word. That's why we get so offended when we see policemen breaking the law. When the policemen, like, you know, people will put on WhatsApp and all this police guy driving on his bike with a uniform with no helmet. If you and I drive, nobody's going to put it on the WhatsApp. But when you see a police guy knowing that, he will stop you tomorrow on the road and give you a challenge for not wearing a helmet, while he himself goes home without a helmet. Are we getting it? The picture. So God is saying, when we seek the ways of God, when we seek the ways of God, we are also constantly walking and seeking God's mercy and truth to stay in that way. That is from where our authority comes. That's where our authority comes. I'm not speaking to the women. The same thing applies to the women too. Okay. Everything is dependent upon this. Do we acknowledge his ways in our life? Do we acknowledge? This is the second principle God is talking about. What was the first one? Mercy and truth. Second one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. Acknowledge, accept his authority in all. Because this is something which you will constantly go through. You will have to face. Because people will use authority to make you obey without coming under the word of God. Why I'm saying is that if you go to a court, if you go to a court, you are, imagine you are a criminal or not criminal, whatever, there is a case against you when you are sentenced. Does the judge say that I feel you should go to jail? Does any, have you ever heard about a judgment like that? What does he say? Under section? Ah, so and so. Under section? So and so, I hereby judge you, sentence you. There is a section he refers to. Always. 
you cannot have a blanket authority when you are not able to refer to a section refer to a section understand because husbands wives employers parents in india that's one thing you will constantly hear especially when marriage comes you have to obey me why because your bible says honor your father and mother does the bible say that god says when you are young honor your father and mother but scripture says you obey god when the father or the mother himself is walking absolute violation of god's command and never submits to god's way he has lost his moral authority to ask his children to obey him or her but the children have given the mother the guidance by god to honor them honor them but obey god obey god understand how it works when we actually seek his ways that is what he says this way is very difficult very difficult by the time enoch enoch walked this way and reached life he was alone everybody left him he had no father with him no mother with him no wife with him no children with him nobody left but he reached life and god said you have eternal life come with me home jesus said it is not easy it's not easy Salvation is easy. Entering through the gate. After that, it's difficult. It is difficult. It gets more and more difficult on the way, and God demands. He says, "If you want to go further, progress further into the life that Jesus is asking us, He says, don't lean on to your understanding. Acknowledge me in all your ways. Otherwise, He says, you will be always in bondage. Always be a prisoner." Rule number three. Okay, or uh, are we at three? Yes, rule number three, verses seven and eight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Why? In First Corinthians chapter eighteen and nineteen, Scripture says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing." but to us who are being saved it is the power of god can you connect this to my question is this question to us is this how do you know you are saved or why are we saved because of the cross if there is no cross will we be saved Is there any salvation without the cross? Jesus came, lived, died on the cross, and he rose again. Therefore, we are saved. There's no other salvation unless there is the cross. We are saved because of the cross. How do we know we are being saved? Because of the cross. These are not the same. We know we are saved. because of the work he did for us on the cross and we believed in it we know we are being saved because of the work the cross does in us one is what he did on the cross or the cross did on him the other is what the cross does in us that's how we know we are being saved if the cross has stopped working in us we are not being saved anymore okay we know the antibiotics has failed it's not working anymore antibiotics has failed it is not working anymore immediately what we know the patient is deteriorating it's not working anymore look at galatians 2:20 yeah i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ lives in me and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me He loved me and gave himself for me is the cross what he did on the cross for me the rest is what the cross does in me and if the cross is not doing that what does it mean somewhere my progress in salvation has stopped i'm now living for myself i'm leaning on to my understanding i'm very wise in my own eyes christ has stopped living in me 
And what is taking place? Death is actually taking place. Death is taking place. So salvation is an ongoing process. We were saved because of the cross and we are being saved also because of the cross. The cross has to work. That is why we realize that's why. How do you, how do you, how do you know a tree? That's, that's why Jesus' problem with the fig tree. The problem with the fig tree was not with the fig tree. The purpose of the fig tree is not to give shade, it is to give fruit. If there is no fruit, he says, cut it down. Okay? So how do you know you are growing in this salvation? Because scripture talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we all know for Jesus gives this wonderful, beautiful illustrations which even a child can understand. You see a bud, then you see the small fruit, and you see the fruit growing, 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 and ripening. So the question you ask is that, as I am growing in my salvation, am I a more patient person? I am a more loving person? I'm a more merciful person. I'm a more kind person. Am I growing in those things? If I'm not growing, then life has gone stale. Like Shakespeare says, you have only grown old, but you haven't grown up. That is the work of the cross. This will happen only when the cross works in us and when we slowly start dying, the life of Christ starts growing. Start growing. That is what scripture is talking about. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. We don't want to be wise in our own eyes. We want the wisdom of God. We want to know we are growing in our understanding of God. That it is his life that is being manifested. 2018, 10 days in, we look back and say yes. I'm not saying we don't fall. It's a different matter. But in other areas of life, we see we are actually growing. And sometimes I'm telling you, sometimes God allows people whom he loves to fall. So through their fall, he can make them more kind and merciful. Merciful. So one of the most kindest, merciful, loving person in the Bible you will see is David. It's an incredibly kind mercy, but because he failed, and he experienced the mercy of God, and he arose above his sin, but his character was changed to be like God, kind, compassionate, merciful man. Okay? So don't look at your sin, because the cross has taken care of your sin. See from there and learn. Lord, you showed me mercy. Showed me mercy. Now, Lord, help me to be also a person of mercy. You were kind to me. Help me also, Lord, to be kind. You were not angry. You didn't deal with me. So help me to have that heart of God so that I grow. You were so patient with me, Lord. Sixteen months I was in the Philistine camp doing atrocious things. Yet when I came to my knees, I did not come to my knees. I look back and say, you brought me to my knees. You burned Ziglak up, therefore I came to my knees. And when I came to my knees, when I cried out, God says, no, those are fake tears because of circumstances. You didn't say anything like that. You were forced to your knees, now you are crying. You didn't say anything like that. You were kind. I asked, you gave me an answer. And you gave me victory. You gave me a victory. And David never forgets these things. That's why when he is king of Jerusalem, king of Israel, the first thing he asks is that, is there anybody from King Saul's household? My enemy who pursued me all these years, is there anybody from his household? Why? I want to show kindness. Why? I remember his father. He was very kind to me. I also want to show kindness. They are all dead and gone. But I want to show kindness to somebody. That's what God is talking about. Are we growing in those things? Are we growing in those things? If we are not growing in those things, 10 days in, we need to ask God and say, Lord, change me, Lord. Change me. Change me. Keep that 7 and 8. Let's come back to that, okay? Says, fear God, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. 
fear God and depart from him. Jesus taught us to pray something. He said in the Lord's prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You see, I know you know it or you maybe have forgotten it. Sin and evil are not the same. We are all sinners. Everybody here. But all are not evil. I don't believe there is any evil person here. I hope not. I hope not. We fall in sin. Occasionally we stumble into sin. We are tempted into sin. But evil people deliberately harm others. When I sin, I primarily harm myself. When I turn evil, I harm others. That's the difference. When Abel's sacrifice was accepted and jealousy started eating up Cain's heart, God said, why are you angry? I used to face downcast. You do right, you will also be accepted because sin is crouching. Why? He wants to overpower you and make you evil. He didn't deal with that. He became evil because he murdered his brother. As long as Judas was stealing from the money bag, he was only a thief. He was a sinner. But when he betrayed Jesus, he became evil. He sold Jesus for money. Okay? So remember, when I sin, you sin, we usually harm ourselves. And God says, just pray this prayer, Lord. Lead me not into situations where I fall into temptation and sin. Okay? But God says, evil, you harm others. You harm others. That's what God is talking about. Fear God and depart from evil. The Pharisees and the high priests were evil. They were not sinners. They were more than that. They, were, they plotted, planned the murder and the destruction of Jesus Christ. They were evil. They were evil. And God says, fear God and depart from evil. Do you remember today's daily reading you got? Pastor from Cuba, five years in prison. He says, what are the lessons we learn? Not to fear, not to hate, not to harm. Not to harm. No, not to harm. Don't harm others. We sin. Okay? Don't harm others. Don't harm others. Don't go in your sin and harm other people. Don't do that. Don't harm others. Because when we move from sin to evil, we knowingly, deliberately harm others. And God says, fear God. and Depart from evil. And if he says, you keep this, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. This evil people don't thrive. They don't thrive. They will have never peace. Inside the bones will be rotting away. The bones will be rotting away. The mind is eaten away. The body gets eaten away because he says it won't last. But he says on the other hand you choose to not to be wise in your own eyes. And say, Lord, give me the wisdom. That's what David was. He was never wise in his own. He had many, many, many opportunities to destroy his enemy, Saul. But he would never be wise in his own eyes. Even his soldiers said, you got your enemy in your hand, finish him off, you can be king. He says, no, I will not do it. I have the power, yes, but I will not exercise it. I will not become evil. I am going to do it. So Saul could never sleep because of a young boy. But the young boy could sleep even though the army was against him. An entire king and his army is searching for him. He's always one step ahead. Why? He says, I will not do evil. I will not do evil. I will not do evil. It will be health for you. The minute he did evil, when he harmed and killed Uriah, he harmed a woman and a husband. He will say, my bonds are wasting away. Bonds are wasting away. It's wasting away. He killed him, murdered him. That's what God is talking about. 
So learn fundamental principles in God's kingdom, what he's talking about. He says you can live long. You can, you can live well. Learn from this lessons, forsake it, move into God's destiny for us. Then he comes to the fourth one, which is in verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will overflow with new wine. Okay? Honor God. See, God says, you consistently kept putting that harvest of giving himself in wherever situations he was. 13 years later, he's prince of Egypt. When did he plant? Consistently planted the same seed in his father's house, in Potiphar's palace, in the prison. Didn't matter what the location, the devil kept on changing. God allowed it. The seed never kept changing. The seed was still the same. What he was sowing was spiritual served. He saved his father in his father's house. He served his master in his master's house. He served the prison warden in the prison. He kept on serving the same way. He kept on giving himself. He never went into depression, discouragement, anger, bitterness, nothing. Nothing. He said, it's all here for a purpose. And I'm going to keep on sowing my seed. And he received a harvest. Consistent. Be consistent that the seeds you sow are the same. Spiritual seeds. And God says, you will receive your harvest. And you will receive. Fifth one. Verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise thee. Chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. Then he puts this wonderful rider there. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. (laughs) Only if you are truly, really spiritual, you will get it. For me personally, the greatest sign of God's love in my life is when he chastens me. And when he chastens me hard, I know he delights in me. You want God to delight in you. You want God to delight. Children don't like discipline. That's not what the Bible says. Do not despise the chastening of the do not just see God doesn't have a stick, but He uses people and circumstances as His sticks. Allows it, and we don't fight that. Those this no. What happens if you fight this stick? Will you be disciplined? Are you getting the lesson behind the discipline? You are getting whacked and you are fighting the stick. So your mind is always working to fight that the hand of discipline. So you are not learning the lesson of the discipline. That's what Paul is, God is telling Saul. Saul, Saul, you are fighting my hand. These gods, you know, was to bring you to this point. You are still fighting it. You are fighting my hand. When my whole hand was to bring you to the point that you learned my lesson. All your pharisaical perfectness is worth nothing. I have brought you to this point. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Now, young ones sitting over here, God will use people whom he has put over you for the girls. Sister Mary, Sister Thelma, Sister Esther will tell you, peep, I don't know whether you have a whistle, but wake up in the morning. Boys, Peter Anna, Aaron Anna, Sammy Anna, whatever, wake up! But if you really understand the discipline behind that and learn as practice, a day will come when you will leave these homes and you are on your own. And if you have got the lesson behind that, you will automatically wake up. You will maximize your time because you have learned the discipline behind that chastening. There is a chastening and there is a lesson God wants us to learn behind it. And that's what it says. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction. Don't detest. People detest God's correction. Often. 
It's like children. Children are like that. They get grumpy. They scowl. I want to talk to Papa. I want to talk to Mama. They don't want. Because they're childish. They're childish. God says no. Don't despise. Don't detest his correction. Don't. Don't detest. That's what happened to Cain. Cain didn't like God's correction. Your punishment is too much for me. Your brother is lying dead over there. And I just put a what small sentence. What? You will wonder. I said my punishment. How do you, that is how you know your spiritual discernment. When you see the tough situations which has come into your life because of God's chastening hand, do you see the punishment or do you learn the lesson? Those who never learn the lesson will always looking at the punishment. And they will never learn the lesson. They go from bad to worse. Two words, two words. Then one day they wake up, it's a day of judgment. All the lessons God tried teaching, lot, he never learned. He's taken captive, seeing there, this is what happens. When you leave the house of God and the man of God, this is what happens. You are in captive, you are in chains, your uncle has come, rescued you, see it all. Nothing against any difference. Keeps on going back. Then one day, day of judgment comes. It is too late. It's too late. He's rescued from the fire. Only he. The rest are gone. Because he never learned the lesson. Same thing with the kings of Israel. King Saul, Ahab, all these kings. You look at God's mercy. God is an incredible merciful God. Ahab's son is there. His name is Azariah. Ahab, yeah, Azariah. He falls from his lattice. It's like a... It's like a wooden framework. He falls through that and gets injured. He knows about his father or about Elijah. Elijah, is, His father is dead. Elijah is alive. He tells, sends to Ekron, to Baal, to find out whether he will be healed. God sends a word to that man saying, Is it not that there is a prophet or a god in Israel that you go to Baal? What a merciful God. This man was wicked, evil. Still God is saying, do you have to go there? Can't you come to me? And he's so angry, he sends 50 soldiers with a captain to get the prophet. Go get the prophet. That's when Elijah says, you know what? This guy, he's having come with good in it. God, let fire come and consume them. 50 gone. That's the king's heart change. No? He sends 50 more. Fire fall. They're also gone. And sends another 50 more. And that captain is a nice man. He says, please Lord, don't kill me. But ultimately, what does scripture say? God's word came true. You will die in your bed. You won't recover. Because you will never accept God's discipline. You will die in your way. You will die. That's what God is talking about. Even Azariah, God loves. Because he is the king of Israel. And God is the God of Israel. He never sends a prophet to the king of Babylon and king of Persia, king of India, nothing. He says, you my love. Because I have a covenant with your father, Abraham. We forget God corrects only whom he loves. So this year make a decision, Lord, I will not despise your discipline. I will not resent your rebuke. I will not resent. How many of you know one sister called Bala Samson? She's here in Hyderabad. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful lady. I mean, she she teaches well, really well. I mean, I've never heard her. I have read some of her articles. In one of her articles, God says, she says, you know what? This thumb, this thumb, the thumb is your pastor, is your church that disciplines you. And those who do not like that discipline are like Adonis, they cut the thumb off. And they walk in life with no discipline. You take your thumb off, you can't hold anything. It doesn't matter how wonderful these four fingers are, that hand is useless. I 
I was casually reading and this morning I saw her speaking. Small article somewhere where she's saying, you know, says, you know what? We hate the hand of discipline in our lives. Hand of discipline. God disciplines. God disciplines through his servants. Israel and Judah always rejected the counsel of God. They despised. Okay. On the other hand, God says, look at the benefit of listening and learning from his discipline. In Proverbs 1 and verse 23, turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words. I will pour my spirit and then suddenly my word will become very interesting to you. You realize God is speaking to me. That's all. Turn at my rebuke. I will pour my spirit. On the other hand, if we continuously keep disregarding what God says, God says, this will be your end. Verse 25 to 31. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Now this is talking about King Saul's kind of people, not King David's kind of people, okay? Don't feel condemned. Everyone who is struggling and crying over your sin, you are not in this category. But those who disdain all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. One day your calamity will come. Harvest will come. The harvest of calamity. That day what will I do? I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. The Philistines have surrounded Saul. He's desperate. Everything he knows according to scripture, he's trying. No answer. God says, you go, to, you go die. I'm not answering you. That's it. Saul, I gave you so many chances. You just threw my word behind. You had disdain on my prophets. You tried to kill every voice I spoke into your life. He says, I will. They will seek me diligently. Suddenly in calamity, they will seek me. But you will not find me. These are calamity seekers. They only seek God in calamity. God says you will not. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose there, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every week. Therefore God says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't. Don't display. Or he's chastening. Don't, he says. So Uzziah will die a leper. Azariah will die in his bed. So many of kings of Israel will die in their sickness when their prophets, anointed prophets walking through the land with healing in, under their wings. But they will all die the way they are. Because God says, that's the way they lived. They will not turn. They will not change. So that's the way they will die. So God gives us the fifth principle in Proverbs 3 to live a long life and prosperous. He says, don't despise my discipline when it comes. Humble your heart. Turn at my reproof and I will give you my spirit. I'll keep on pouring my spirit and my word will become life in you. And then we will uh, look at uh, sixth and we will stop with six. So we should stop at five. I think we'll stop at five, right? Because we'll maybe look the next five the next week. Agali haftai. Baki bhag. There are ten. But just quickly go through this so that we will know. Okay? No, we don't go into five because five is, six is very large. You have to seek, search, and find wisdom and gain understanding. Wisdom and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding. God says you have to seek, you have to search, you have to find it. And if you don't, he said, ultimately again, your ultimate life in eternity's weighing scales will be a waste. Will be a waste. We need to have spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. We all have everybody. Like, you have different people working in different processes. You have understanding in your process. Therefore, 
you are able to work in that company. If you don't have that understanding, they won't take you in that company. But God's kingdom is not a company. It's a spiritual entity. It's a spiritual kingdom. God says, you need that spiritual wisdom, spiritual knowledge, and spiritual understanding. And if you don't, he says, in his kingdom, ultimately we will be useless. We'll be useless. We'll be like the man who was given a talent and he hid it. And what was his condemnation? Was he a bad man? He says, you are a wicked, lazy fellow. You are unprofitable. You may be profitable for the nation of India, but totally unprofitable for God's kingdom. God says, I want you to be profitable for my kingdom. Doesn't matter how profitable you were to the society, how profitable you were to your company or your institution. God says, if you are not profitable to God, ultimately God says, you did not have my wisdom. You didn't seek my knowledge. You didn't seek my understanding. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll come back, God willing, next week. Let's look to the Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just praise you, we just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, teach us, Lord, where we have failed in 2017, even in these 10 days, we come to you, knowing you are a merciful God. And we are alive for the very, very reason, because you are merciful. You didn't want us to die in your judgment, in your wrath. So you extended your hand of mercy. You kept all of us alive so that we would continue to obtain mercy and continue to seek the precepts of thy kingdom and keep those precepts and walk in your kingdom, which is of power, Lord. Commit your people into their hands, all the children who came, Lord. I pray you continue to teach us, continue to speak to us as we turn away at your rebuke, Lord from our sin, not from you. Continue to pour your spirit into us and make known your words to us, O Lord. Even when we go back, let your words ring in our ears, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.